Madame et Monsieur, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles McDonald, brought to you in association with Force Magazine on World Radio Paris. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio Paris and Monaco. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I'll be hosting the show exclusively in association with Force Magazine. Once upon a time, there was a very beautiful city called Paris. It was famed for fashion and regarded for its style so much that all the kings, princesses and queens wanted to be associated with it. This story is captivating. Imagine a knitted suit so iconic you could tell the designer simply by looking at it. Then, the ability to make lips a colour so striking it both empowered and sensualised women of every class all across the world. My story ends by visiting an imposing castle at sunset where we will lay our weary heads surrounded by the chateau's Christmas couture and we all lived happily ever after. Not many fashion items have withstood the test of time quite like a Chanel suit. The iconic two-piece set, originally introduced to the brand by French designer Gabriel Coco Chanel back in the 1920s, and sustained by Karl Lagerfeld until his recent death in 2019, would not only live on to become a symbol of fashion, but a representation of the liberated woman. Worn by international fashion figures including Jackie Kennedy, Princess Diana, Bridget Bardot, and Barbara Walters. The Chanel suit has become a representation of sophistication and a permanent staple for the storied brand. In 1925, Chanel introduced the original idea for the suit at a small show in her salon on Rue de Cambon in Paris. Known for mixing traditional ideas of masculinity and femininity, Chanel took inspiration from the sportswear and menswear that her then-boyfriend, the Duke of Westminster, would wear. Chanel herself would even reportedly wear her lover's clothes because she believed menswear to be more comfortable than pre-wear, women's fashion of the time. Chanel wished to find a way in which to free women from the restrictive corsets and long skirts which were popular during the Belle Epoque period. This was a period defined from 1871 up to the First World War in 1914. Chanel wanted women to exude elegance while allowing them to move freely, and in 1947, newcomer Christian Dior introduced the famed new look to the fashion world with quenched waists, full skirts that celebrated ultra-femininity and rivaled Chanel's message to women. As a response, Chanel was quoted by saying, Dior doesn't dress women, he upholsters them. Inspired by sportswear, the iconic coarse tweed fabric used in the detailing and crafting of Chanel suits was initially not considered a glamorous textile. Tweed was primarily manufactured in the Scottish twill mills where Chanel discovered the true diversity of the fabric. Chanel's passion for feminising tweed by implementing new colours, materials and textures to the then underutilised fabric took the fashion world by storm inspiring other French couturiers to employ her methods. The swim skirt and collarless jacket, dubbed Chanel's uniform, became a widely known asset with the help of press coverage, specifically a magazine of actress Ina Claire, dressed in a Chanel suit, 
way back in 1924. Why was Chanel's classic suit catered to the principles of first-wave feminism during the early 20th century? The Algerian-born Yves Saint Laurent stepped into the fashion scene in 1966 with the creation of Lee Smoking Tuxedo, a style inherent to the brand's aesthetic today. The jacket aligned itself with the ideas of sexual liberation for the second-wave feminism movement, which arose during the 1960s. Few public establishments even allowed women to wear trousers inside, seeing it as acceptable as wearing a bathing suit to dinner. Saint Laurent embraced the idea of a feminine androgyny, which Chanel initially introduced into her works, but combined it with a cutting-edge sense of provocative sexuality for women that was absent from Chanel's vision. The Chanel suit soon caught the attention of some of the most influential women at the time, one of the most notable admirers of the suit, First Lady Jackie Kennedy, historically wore the pink Chanel suit on her day the husband of the United States, President John F. Kennedy, was assassinated in Texas back in 1963. The strawberry pink double-breasted suit was from the Chanel Haute Couture Fall 61 collection and was completed with a pillbox hat in typical Jackie fashion style. An often debated topic was the authenticity of the set, as many argued the suit was originally produced by Chesney Nyong in 1961. It was later revealed that the suit was part of Chanel's line-for-line system, with Chanel providing the supplies for Ninon. This method was for the purposes of appearing more patriotic by having the garment made on American soil rather than French. The particular suit worn by the First Lady quickly became ingrained in US history as the televised event of the President Kennedy's death led to nationwide recognition of the suit. In 2003, nine years after her mother's death, Caroline Kennedy gifted the suit to the US where it currently resides in the National Archives. It won't be put on display until 2013 in order to avoid sensationalising the horrific act. A formal reproduction for the suit was later created in 2016 for Natalie Portman's portrayal of Kennedy in the film Jackie. Reproduced by costume designer Madeleine Fontaine, the Chanel team aided in the reproduction of the suit by providing some of the materials, including buttons and chains, allowing the film to credit the label. Following Gabrielle Chanel's death in 1971, several assistants directed the designer's couture and ready-to-wear lines, until the German-born Lagerfeld was appointed as creative director in 1983, while sustaining his prior job at Fendi. Lagerfeld assumed the role with respect for the traditions of the house, retaining several items and methods intrinsic to the brand's identity. His vision aligned with Chanel's original wishes to propel the brand towards avant-garde fashion. Lagerfeld wished to move Chanel away from the pastel-coloured box suits of the 50s and drive Chanel into a more dynamic 1980s. Lagerfeld gradually began making slight changes to the timeless piece, with all keeping in mind the power and popularity of Chanel's original idea and concept. As the result of a high price tag, Lagerfeld understood the mature appeal towards the suited style and aspired to rejuvenate the idea of the iconic item. He created suits from denim, punk-style tweed and bright neon wool, paired with tweed bracelets and even some Chanel alpine skis. In 
He did this little by little. Nothing at the time. Even if she ever did it this way, it's very Chanel, no? Lagerfeld was an innovator, and he tapped muses and 90s supermodels, including Claudia Schiffer, Tristy Turlington, Vanessa Paradis, and Linda Evangelista for campaigns and fashion shows, challenging the more conservative past of the Chanel house. In more recent years, the Chanel suit still inspires modern-era fashion designers. Notorious for his kitschy-chic designs, Jeremy Scott exhibited his debut show as creative director for Moschino in fall-winter 2014, which drew more than a few sartorial inspirations from the iconic French house. The show referenced a hybrid of what appeared to be Chanel-era suits, crossbred with McDonald's, and the satirical correction sent the fashion world into an uproar with suits that were virtually undistinguishable copies from Chanel's classic designs, besides the Machino logo, of course. This called into question inspiration versus imitation of heritage brands, which is even today a very, very pertinent story within the industry. The Lagerfeld era of Chanel advertisements and advertisers, many of which Lagerfeld himself had photographed, preserved the brand's identity of the opulent, empowered woman, whilst introduced a, y- a younger and sexier side to the French brand. Lagerfeld is credited with promoting the logo branding of the Chanel that has recently regained popularity, with his use of the iconic interlocking CC monogram on items from handbag locks and garments led to worldwide recognition of the insignia. Soon after, Chanel became an it brand by maintaining their mature clientele, as well as ingraining it itself into the brand new generations of younger women. Today the Chanel suit remains a symbol of a historical fashion house, and is repurposed in new ways every season. The cult classic is remembered as a fusion of comfort, luxury, elegance, maintaining the same design ethos introduced by Coco over 90 years ago. With Wagerfeld altering the style and audience of the iconic piece, the suit has preferred as its role as a true emblem within the fashion history, as Virginie Vier takes the brand through to the next chapter and generation in the story. Unpacking the deep cultural history of the famed beauty product, Red Lipstick, an ode to a beauty icon, explores the lasting legacy of the legendary shade. Not just stories and anecdotes, but also vibrant, inspiring images from fine art, photography, beauty and fashion editorials, as well as advertisements filling the tome. Not to mention the style icons who wore it so well. Veteran beauty writer Rachel Felder has advised women for years on how to wear red lipstick, a trademark of her own style. As she explained, a light bulb went off and this was something that people were interested in. And the history of it is really deep and that had never been really explored either. And thus, a book idea was born. 
featured in Red Whipstick are a series of Hall Famers, among them punk rock stars Debbie Harry and Susie Sue, as well as pop music idols including Madonna and Rihanna. Felder also salutes the greats of vintage Hollywood including Elizabeth Taylor, Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly in addition to Marilyn Monroe and her trademark red lipstick Max Factor's Ruby Red, which is no longer available in the United States. Also included, of course, is a brief history of cult figure Coco Chanel. Red Lipstick also focuses on the suffragettes, World War II workforce, flappers, politicians, first ladies and fashion world favourites who have boldly caught the public's attention. During the process of researching and writing the book, Felda immersed herself in the makeup's past. In fact, there were some facts which were new to even her. One account involves wearing red as a political move. Women during World War II wore it as an act of defiance because Hitler famously didn't like red lipstick. And another, the broad societal spectrum. Over many centuries of red lipstick, prostitutes have worn it, and actresses wore it in a time and an era when being an actress was not something which was seen as a respectable profession. By the then time of the 1950s, Queen Elizabeth was going to her coronation and had a red lipstick created for her day, especially to match the red robes of her outfit. Three different brands have been created, with crediting that specific shade for her. Throughout time, one common thread between anyone wearing red and its global appeal was a kind of fearless spirit. So the thing about red is it's extremely deliberate, says Fedler. And putting on something that takes that kind of effort and focuses on you inherently shows confidence. By putting it on, you're doing something that's empowering and conscious and bold and self-assured. And then that's the part of something so universally flattering, as long as you find your right sort of undertone of red. It's no wonder that there's a faithful following behind this popularity of red lipstick. Both men and women have recognised its enormous influence to this day, and though it might rise and fall in seasonal trends, it remains a beauty staple, similarly as important as the essential little black red dress. Whilst countless articles exist online about red lipstick's history, along with helpful tips, this book captures these poignant memories with a richer depth. Though politics are making a fashion statement, its eye-catching allure transcends time, and its power is transformative. As Audrey Hepburn once said, on a bad day, or a bad year, there's always lipstick. When foreign visitors take a guided tour of the Chateau de Chenonceau, one of the jewels of France's Loire Valley, they're often intrigued by the interlocking seas that appear throughout the castle. The initials are those of Catherine de' Medici, the former Queen of France, whose portrait hangs above an elaborate carved stone chimney bookended by lines. But to 21st century eyes, they look remarkably similar to the Chanel logo. 
As known as the Lady Chateau, Chenonceau has a history marked by a succession of powerful women, of which the Renaissance rulers, in particular, inspired the label's founder, Gabrielle Coco Chanel. That the French fashion house chose to stage its Métier des Arts collection here is therefore something of a full circle moment. If the recent season of The Crown made you wonder how you'd fare when put to the Balmoral test, imagine how you'd dress for Chateau de Chenonceau. It was a challenge Virginie Viard set herself for this year's Métiers des Arts collection, which also marked Chanel's return to destination shows after a series of Chanel Paris presentations. Staged without an audience, save for Christian Stewart, who had the whole place to herself, models were captured on film wafting down the bridge gallery of the medieval bastion in the Loire Valley, like weddies of a noble court, floating through time and space. It's between the Chanel of the past, today and tomorrow, but through Virginie's vision. Virginie Viard paid tribute to the castle's famous female residents, and there was a certain but no doubt international irony to the choice of the location. Following a year spent confined to her own personal spaces, the castle signifies the ultimate upgrade for in working from home. It's a reality that has spawned the marketing trend of comfort wear, and the idea that we innately dress down and more comfortably when we don't have to be seen in public. That notion wouldn't have flown flag in the day of Catherine de' Medici and Diane de Politier, two of the many powerful and politically ambitious women who inhabited the chateau since its erection back in 1522. Known as the Ladies' Castle, this was a perfect setting for Viard's new female-led era of Chanel, which, by the way, shows no intention of dressing down. She's a woman dressing for women. We see that in the collections, and we see that in the boutiques with her customers. There is something very special that only a woman can give a woman, Pavlovsky said. The collection featured indirect nods to the Renaissance, and in an article from 1936, Coco Chanel wrote about her affinity for Renaissance women. I have always been struck by a strange feeling of sympathy and an admiration towards the women who lived from François Lair to Louis XII, perhaps because I find them all to be great, with a magnificent simplicity and a majesty imbued with onerous duties. I would have to say easy for Viard to go in on reference, but almost nearly two years into the job, it's clear that she doesn't approach a theme as directly as her teacher, Carol Wagerfeld, sometimes did. Rather, this Metier des Arts collection paid gentle nods to the Renaissance wardrobe and brought it bang into the present. Cut into her silhouette was the memory of the era's rigorous edges, strapless floors, floor-length skirts, bell sleeve and ruffled gloves. She paid homage to some of the trademarks of the era in a veiled cone hat, latticework on dresses, a leather jacket quilted with pearls, and knitwear that resembled the chain mail of armour. All those pieces are painstakingly constructed, and they were a treat for the artisans to whom the Métier des Arts line is devoted. It was certainly an optimistic look to the future, and it's a castle but on a human scale, and Catherine Dimitri's emblem was a monogram composed of two intertwined seas, just like that of Chanel, Via said. Noting the similarities between the fashions of Renaissance and Coco Chanel's lace ruffs, as well as the spirit of her jewellery. Deep down, this is a part of Chanel's history, she said. For all its parallels to history, 
The show was geared towards the forward-thinking and optimistic, matching the global zeitgeist that has manufactured and manifested this December as COVID-19 vaccines are rolled out. A better-behaved president is about to enter the White House, and a brighter future is on the horizon. VR channelled that outlook in kicky checkered miniskirts, which were a nod to the chateau's floors that felt ever so rock and roll, next to the designer's 1980 shoulders and shiny leggings. The show finally signified a return to destinations. We could have had a large number of guests in the Chateau de Chenon, so Pavlovsky said, referring to Chanel's initial plans for the show. That was the first objective, to come back to the experience and emotion of these shows. We have no choice this time, so we'll do it differently. We can do many things now, but they will never replace that emotion. They did a pretty excellent job on Plan B, however. On the morning of the show, guests received a book with photographs of Chenonceau by Georgian Teller, a printed essay on Chanel, and a castle by scholar Fanny Arma, and a booklet with preview shots shot from the collection. Since the early days of the pandemic, Chanel has been resolute with its intentions to keep staging its six annual runway shows. This show heralded the return of destination experiences that we've previously seen from the Metier Desire and Chanel Cruise collections. I can confirm that we will be returning to travelling, Pavlovsky said. It's part of the Chanel DNA to be able to go where it makes sense for the brand to be. It's the vision of the brand, it's the vision of Virginie, and I think it's quite good to be inspired by the world we're living in today. I hope you can join me in the new year for the next Fashion Mode show, where I'll be taking a look at some of the top stories that grace the international fashion press across a less than favourable 2020. Until then, may everyone at Force Magazine wish you all a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday Period and Happy New Year. With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the fashion news on forcmagazine.com and at FORC Magazine on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also keep up to date with the latest shows directly from Mixcloud, Podbean and our official profiles on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play and Deezer under Force Magazine. Until the next time, keep your fashion mode on.